This evening's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, beginning to read at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you'll speak to us through it. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. I have to confess that as a child... I rather disliked the story of Mary and Martha because I was of the opinion that Jesus dealt with Martha rather unjustly. And as I listened to these pious Sunday school teachers and pastors over the years extolling the virtues of Mary, I felt quietly rebellious. Part of it, I think, is because we often have visiting preachers in the house, and very often I was in the kitchen with my mother preparing the meals. So I empathized with Martha and thought if my sister deserted me in the kitchen and went to sit at the feet of the preacher, I'd probably thump her, let alone give her a few sharp words. But I have matured, and probably not mellowed, actually, but there we go. But I don't think the story is really about uh, to undermine the value of domestic activity, or I have been pondering whether it does mean that visiting preachers should only get one course when they come and a sort of a bit of a frugal meal, I don't know. But I think the point of the story is really that we listen to Jesus' words and that we need to take them into our souls and beings And that seems to be the point, that this taking the words of Jesus into our souls is of supreme value. And I was thinking quite a lot about that. Why is there such an emphasis on the Word of God? Why is it so important for us to sit and to listen to the words of Jesus? And of course, when we think about it, Jesus speaks the words of our eternal God. They're not like the words of you and I that are here one day and perhaps gone tomorrow. They're eternal words. And of course, Jesus not only speaks the word of God, he is, as the Gospel of John teaches us, the word of God. And we know this word endures forever. So in the story, Mary sits at Jesus' feet. She adopts this submissive pose and listens to the words of Jesus. 
Now, some of you may have noticed I'm talking about Mary listening to the words of Jesus, whereas the NIV says the teaching of Jesus. Well, I have to say, I can't abide the NIV translation. It's always wrong. But the Greek word is actually logos word. And I think if you mistranslate this idea of Jesus as the word, which the NIV always does, it translates it in Corinthians, for example, as message or word or all sorts of things, but it's not consistent. I think we lose quite a depth of theological understanding because it's not just teaching. It is the word of God that Mary is listening to. So if we look at this story, it seems that Martha has gone beyond that which is necessary in the cookhouse. Luke says she's distracted with much serving. And so unimpressed by her sister's desertion, Martha trips in to see Jesus. I'm assuming there's a different room, but I'm not sure quite how it would have been in the domestic setup. Don't you care that Mary's abandoned me and left me alone. Now, to us, the language seems quite rude, doesn't it? You wouldn't really say that in front of a visitor if you might say it in private. And it also seems quite manipulative language. Tell Mary to come and help me. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't get caught up in this manipulative behavior. He answers quite boldly and he says, Martha, you're troubled and anxious about many things. Martha's not just in a stew about her cookery. I thought that was quite witty, actually. Um, But Jesus then goes on and says, only one thing, some uh, texts say it's one dish, is necessary. And I'm thinking about whether it means that when you have the vicar around, you should only give him one miserable dish that's quick to cook. I don't know. But anyway, you can think about that. But the gourmet meal that Martha's struggling to prepare isn't necessary in the view of Jesus. Furthermore, he says that Mary, who's absented herself from the hoo-ha in the cookhouse, has chosen the better portion. The words must have seemed pretty devastating to Martha, Because like any of us, if we had a a guest to our house, we try and give of our best usually, don't we? Unless we know them very well, in which case it's beans on toast, but whatever. But nevertheless, her behavior is quite manipulative and her language is so. But Jesus doesn't deal, doesn't collude with this sort of manipulative behavior. It's quite interesting how he speaks the truth and names issues that have probably been percolating in the Mary Martha household for some time, and he brings these into the light. Rather curiously, we don't know how Martha responds, but I'm assuming this is earlier than the raising of Lazarus and so on, so presumably the relationship continued and wasn't gone forever. I wonder how Mary responded I imagine she was pretty shocked by what Jesus said and probably by what Martha said. And probably quite relieved as well as these issues that are there and named and brought into the light. Difficult things in a domestic situation. And I suppose this gives us pause to think. As Christians, we're 
sometimes there are situations actually where it's appropriate to speak light and truth into situations. And of course, most of us are reluctant to speak up. But when issues are named and brought into the open, sometimes it's actually much easier to move forward and to address what the real things are. And of course, much wisdom and prayer are necessary. I probably need to um, hold back because my personality is rather more direct than perhaps the average person. But some of us have different personalities, so I think it depends. We need wisdom and prayer. But there is a case for bringing things into the truth and light. I was also thinking, what drove Martha to go to such excessive lengths? We don't know, but we can only speculate. Some of my thoughts were, Jesus is an important visitor. He needs all the stop pulled out. It could also be that she underestimated the amount of work that her culinary plans entailed. I myself have been in that situation a number of times. I remember making sausage rolls one Christmas, thinking my mother used to do this in half-hour flat, and two hours later the place was covered and it was a very difficult activity. Maybe it was that situation. Or perhaps Martha was a perfectionist. We don't really know what drove Martha to go to these lengths. But I think it's quite interesting, isn't it, as we reflect on our own work, activity, and habits. We are in St. Andrews, and in North Oxford, a pretty talented lot. And by and large, we move in competitive circles, and we value achievement and hard work. Most people here have got a lot of potential, and you're told to do everything as well as you possibly can. And of course, then the risk is either burnout or going mad. The pursuit of perfection is something sometimes necessary. But sometimes we are driven people. There's this endless need for perfection in everything. And the bar seems to be set so high. I've observed this, certainly as a chaplain on the uh, colleges of Oxford, that highly talented and very gifted people tell you they have not succeeded. And it seems to me the systems we've created can be very cruel. The external pressures can be enormous. And in Oxford, we see a lot of people driving themselves for this perfection in very unhealthy ways. And I wonder how much of that is because of fear of rejection or failure. And so the story, I think, is freeing. It reminds us our value is not from our achievement or our activity, but from who we are in the sight of God. Maybe a timely reminder at this season of exam results, or even for academics struggling to complete their REF publications. Of course, we want to achieve what we set out to achieve when we can, but sometimes we don't for whatever reason. And ultimately, we can remember our lives are in the hands of God. 
and that God's love and even his purposes for us and for those around us are not dependent on our achievement. And I wasn't sure whether it was ironic, but God often does use our failures and disappointments and difficulties. Those are, that's the arena in which God tends to work to bring us to a deeper understanding of himself. And then we can look at Mary, the devoted example, uh, the devoted disciple of Jesus. And if you look back to Luke 10, 25, it seems that she's this perfect example of the person who loves God with all their heart and soul and mind and so on, who's alluded to in Luke 10, 25. She has this intentional focus on Jesus. No doubt. She's got to be aware of Martha, and she knows Martha. She knows that Martha is stewing in the kitchen. But nevertheless, she sets aside time to listen intently to the words of Jesus. In a way, her action might seem selfish. But Jesus affirms what she does. And as already said, it's because the word of God, the words of Jesus, lead us to the eternal God, to the one whose words never pass away. I was flicking through Luke's gospel, looking at references to the word of God, to try and get some understanding. What does Luke say about the importance of the word of God? There's the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word, Luke 8, in a small number of cases, the word brings forth fruit. In Luke 9, there's an example. You can chase these through sometime in the week if you've got time. Someone, there's the acid test. Someone who responds to the word of Jesus. It's the acid test of whether a person is a disciple. And then in Luke 21, Jesus says, heaven and earth pass away, but my words will not. So it's clear that we need to listen to the Word of God because that is the ultimate reality. It's that which gives life and sustains life. And of course, it's important that we cannot separate Jesus from his Word. James 1 reminds us the Word of God is implanted within our souls. Colossians 3 joins us to pay attention to the Word of God is as we spend time attentive to the words of Jesus that our concerns, our hopes, and our ideals become realigned with the action of Jesus, Jesus' eternal action. As we take God's word into our hearts and seek God in prayer, the Holy Spirit works to direct our feet to the way of Christ and to animate our souls with this enduring word of God. I expect most of us have come across friends or been to ourselves some sort of mindfulness course. There's quite a lot of them being run in Oxford. And I suppose the popularity of these courses show our realization that we need the importance of intentional focus if we're to be happy and sane people. And of course, Jesus' challenge is that intentional focus needs to be on him and his words, simply because 
His word is the ultimate reality. And as we attend to Jesus in his word, we're not trying to escape to some sort of other higher spiritual reality that is somehow dissociated from the nitty-gritty issues of everyday life. Rather, it's quite the opposite. It's bringing our nitty-gritty life under the focus of Jesus and his words, praying the light of Christ to shine on them and direct our ways. And as we think back over our days and we consciously bring into the presence of God the things that have disturbed us, the emotions that we've experienced, our thoughts, the actions, the people we've met, that is part of bringing these things under the word of God. So listening to the words of Jesus is a bit more than just listening to his teaching as though it's sort of listening to some teacher teaching you about Mongolian cookery. It's not just about knowledge acquisition. It's about having our lives opened and shaped by the will of God and his agenda. The words of Jesus are living, they are authoritative, and they change lives and situations. And of course, our prayer is absolutely integral to this hearing the word of God. So in conclusion, I have two points. First, is that the story of Mary and Martha should be freeing for us because it teaches that we're not necessarily meant to run around like headless chickens engaged in constant activities. Jesus wants us to spend time seeking his presence and his word. Our worth in the eyes of God is not dependent on our ability to work and serve God in constant activity. Whereas our society often measures somebody's value in terms of their productivity. This should not be the case in the Christian church. Our worth is from being created in the image of God. It's not from our activities, however worthy and excellent they might be. And clearly God takes us through phases of life when we can't be as active as we might like because of various limiting situations and pressures. And yet, since our self-worth is often tied to our activity, we can often feel huge social and also internal pressure to become more and more active when really we can't be that. In a place like St. Andrews, it's not very easy to be the one who's weak, the one who's disabled, or the one who's lost their job, or the one who's failed their exams, or the one who's struggling financially or with low energy levels. And I think this story of Martha and Mary, therefore, presents quite a challenge to a church like this which values activity and prizes achievements so highly. We need to remember that Jesus praised Mary for sitting at Jesus' feet and reprimanded Martha for engaging in unnecessary activity. And we could all ponder that. How much of my activity today was really necessary could lead to some quite interesting uh, changes, perhaps. 
I put down my final thoughts, but I'd already had the in conclusion. So this is in conclusion, my final thoughts as well, if you see what I mean. <coughs> anyway, we are grinding to the end. Um, how do we develop this intentional focus on Jesus and his words? Clearly, we live in a distracted society. You might go into a, a classroom or some sort of common room at work, and people are very often, half of the people there will be on their iPhones, won't they? They won't be paying attention or not full attention to who's there, but they'll be tapping away. And we really need to think about how we set boundaries around this mobile technology so we can focus on the present and not become slaves to our work or the demands of email, social media, or whatever. Many Orthodox communities, Jewish Orthodox communities, have a Sabbath from technology. Is that possible? Is that a good idea? But the issue is there, if we're going to engage with God, let alone others around us, we've got to give careful consideration to the boundaries we put in place. We need to lay aside, in some senses, the demands of others. Mary appears selfish to Martha, yet Jesus applauded her for that intentional choice. In the end, we all make choices. Our day-to-day situations differ. But one of the challenges is to bring our distractions under control so that we can spend time focusing on Jesus and his words. So to summarize, we've thought of Martha and her stressed behavior and how Jesus spoke life and truth. We saw how Jesus affirmed Mary for being attentive to him and his words. So it seems as too challenged to reflect perhaps on what drives us to strive for perfection or endless activity, and to think, well, are those motives driven by fear or by low self-worth? What is behind this drive? And second, what are the boundaries we need to tighten up or put in place so that we can be still and have this intentional focus on the words of Jesus I think the key question that I will lead to you is, Mary chose the better thing, says Luke in his gospel. Question is, what choices do you and I really think are best? Activity or listening to the words of Jesus? Amen.